America reels from another mass shooting at an elementary school. I'm Adam Bearn, and this is The Square Circle. Hello and welcome to The Square Circle. I'm your host, Adam Bearn. On our panel today, we have libertarian Dan Mitchell of the Centre for Freedom and Prosperity. How are you, Dan? Doing just fine. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And we also have conservative and independent journalist, Peter Pishke. Good to see you again, Peter. Howdy, howdy. And rounding off the panel today, we have progressive Ed with Theogene of the Centre for American Progress. Hi, Ed with Hi, everybody. Well, thank you all for being here. A community in Texas is in shock this week after an 18-year-old with an assault rifle murdered 19 children and two teachers in an elementary school in the city of Uvalde on Tuesday. The perpetrator was eventually shot dead by law enforcement. Here's more details from ABC News. Tonight, inside the unspeakable horror, Officers running to the scene with the 18-year-old gunman already inside Robb Elementary School, where second, third, and fourth graders were in the middle of their day. Authorities say he got in through a back door, slipping into a classroom, and opening fire on fourth graders and their two teachers. Authorities believe he got into that school at 11.32 a.m. So, Ed, with Theogene, this shooting, the deadliest in an elementary school, you have to add that qualifier, since the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012 killed 20 children and six adults. Nothing changed regarding gun laws after that. Will it change now? I mean, I hope so. It is both unbelievable and basically devastatingly predictable that we are grieving another school shooting caused by easy access to guns that overwhelm our law enforcement in every part of our nation. Um, and as we approach the 10 year anniversary of Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting that rocked Newton, uh, Connecticut, which you just referenced, we must not let another decade of inaction go by. Um, this is really unfortunate. We've had the time, the resources, the data that shows what are good paths forwards to, to navigate gun violence, and we still have not seen any movement in it. So I hope this does change because in the next few weeks, um, it's absolutely critical that we see some action. Senator Schumer has said that he will not try to move on any significant gun violence prevention legislation ahead of the Memorial Day recess, but will move forward when everyone returns the week of June 6th. So we welcome the efforts by Senator Chris Murphy and others to accomplish meaningful legislative progress on this issue. And the White House can only do so much with executive action. So the ball is in the Congress's court. So if we ever wanna see longstanding sustainable change, we need Congress to take action. So over the next several weeks, I know a lot of people are responding to what has just happened. Um, there are marches and rallies going to happen. A lot of folks are reaching out to their members of government and representation to take some sort of action. Um, and we just need common sense gun laws to come into play. So I hope that's something that happens. We need universal background checks on all gun sales. 
ban on the manufacture and sale of assault weapons. There's no need for any of that to be out on our streets. Um, we also need national extreme risk protection orders law. And these reforms like background checks are supported by well over 80% of American people in every corner of the country. And they will save lives everywhere just as they have in states that have implemented them. Um, this is the worst thing that I think anyone, like our country is rocked to its core by this. I don't think anyone um, is without some sort of uh, dent from this happening. So I hope that we will see some change. Dan Mitchell, do you think that there will be any change? Do you see any need for change? Edwith gave us a fairly long laundry list there of possible proposals. Are there any that you would be on board with? As the uh, father of three kids who are now grown, so fortunately I don't have to worry about this, but I can just only imagine how utterly horrible and devastating it would be. Uh, but here's the problem. What piece of legislation that people are talking about is going to change any of this. Uh, we have more guns in this country than we have people in this country. And of course, you know, 99 point whatever percent of Americans who own guns are, are perfectly uh, law-abiding good people uh, who are using guns for self-protection and recreation and things like that. Uh, and we do have this little thing called the Constitution that would prohibit uh, wide-scale gun confiscation and gun bans so I wish I had a magic wand. I wish that we had some way uh, to use these ERPOs to identify and stop uh, the crazy people out there. Uh, but I'm just afraid to be realistic that, that, first of all, politically, nothing will happen because both parties will use it as a political football. But then uh, I care more about the practical side of this. And from a practical perspective, I just don't think... Uh, any sort of big major gun control legislation, uh, A, will pass or B, would make a difference if it did pass. So Peter Pishke, Dan seems uh, pretty, isn't optimistic that there will be change. <laughs> should I, I say, what do you think? I can't blame Dan. I think jumping into this case and deep diving, getting ready for the show, it definitely leaves you a bit blackpilled. It, it makes you feel a little hopeless. A big part of the problem is I don't think either side, left or right, are really proposing much that actually would have stopped the specific shooting. A big part of the problem is just human error and inadequacy. Um, Texas has many of the standards that you'd hope to see when it comes to background checks on firearms, when it comes to mental health checks on people that might have issues. While they don't perhaps have, um, have as robust red flag laws in some other parts of the country, they do have some. Um, the problem was that there was massive human error at every step of this. And it's hard. It's hard. You, most law and policy is developed to deal with common crime. Okay. 99% of crime is not this. Thank goodness. And we are, we don't have really a great way to deal with this issue. Cause as we saw in the footage and this totally broke me, I it really, it's quite messed up. The, there were officers that were able to arrive fairly quickly on the scene, but they did not engage. Now, they, they were supposed to on a moral and ethical level, definitely, but that's not exactly the policy there. And obviously, they probably were scared. Who wouldn't be? But it went so far as that they, they were preventing parents and those that wanted to intervene. Now, I don't know if that would have helped matters or not, but at that point, you feel like those are my kids. I have a, a right to go and try to defend my children. Okay, that was a huge error. This guy was known to the police. He had a mental health check just the last year in which they can only hold someone 48 hours. This was someone that they knew had problems. This is someone that 
was likely to have issues. Background checks do not work because they work on a paper trail. You can you do, it won't do anything for an 18 year old. He's just there. We seal records for people to have issues when they're teens and their kids generally because we don't want that following them forever. And of course, you have to deal with things like the Second Amendment. It's a complicated issue. And so you have a case like this where. I mean, I, I, I agree with the right when they want to say, well, you know, let's look at mental health. Let's look at um, how these people are raised and if they have hopelessness. I hear the left and they say, OK, well, what about um, going after uh, straw buyer sales, which is a huge issue. That's when someone goes on behalf of someone else to purchase a firearm when that, that other person legally cannot. And the ATF rarely goes after them because they are very difficult and there's very little glory in them. So those are reforms I think that in general could help. But on the specific level of what happened in Texas on Tuesday, there wasn't a lot that could have been done by a well-regulated government that could have prevented that, which is a horrifying thing to say. And I know that doesn't bring any comfort to anyone, but at least take some comfort in the notion that this is extremely, extremely rare statistically, you are much more likely to be in danger of hurting yourself in your bathroom. You should don't really should have to fear having your kids at school statistically, but humongous margins, they're going to be okay. That doesn't mean what happened in on any of these shootings isn't, isn't horrible. It's an abomination. It's evil. They should never happen. Um, but it's tough stuff. And I honestly, I don't feel like either side in the political conversation is handling this um, very maturely, and we're all kind of going to our priors. Uh, but I guess that's what we expect these days. Yeah, and Edward, I wanted to bring that up. Senator Chris Murphy spoke quite passionately on the floor of the Senate in the aftermath of the massacre. And he seemed to be quite realistic about the fact that himself, a Democrat, was going to be miles away from Republicans in the Senate on most of these issues, but did have some hope that there could be some common ground there. I mean, we heard Dan just mentioning ERPOs, these protective orders, also known as red flag laws or yellow flag laws in some place. Do you think that's something that we, maybe we could see some actual progress on? I mean, I'm trying to stay positive that we'll see progress, but similar to some of uh, Chris Murphy's remarks, like how many people have to die until action is taken? You know, this is horrific that this happened. I just got a puppy. I'm not a parent. I just got a puppy and I have to take my puppy to daycare. And I was talking, I called my mom and I was like, I can't believe that you raised four kids and you just like sent them out into the world and that they came back to you. And I grew up in the eighties. There wasn't this many guns on the street in the same way. There weren't like shootings like this. Um, the first like, I grew up in Columbine and that completely changed um, school experiences and stuff like that. So this is just awful. And every time after any of these things happen on both sides, it's thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, and like, let's take action. I mean, even after um, the Parkland shooting, young people took to the streets and marched and rallied. They are scared to go to school. They are scared to be outside. Um, so I just hope that something will work. Like a lot of Americans are supportive of all of these different laws and legislation. And yes, I think there's human error and there's so many different things that like, it was a, what is it? A comedy of errors, you know, that created this, this moment, something a little bit more, I don't know what the most more drastic saying could be, but just looking at other countries that don't have these mass shootings in the same way, that don't have guns on the street. Like 
something has to be done. And I think that something can be done. And I'm hoping, I mean, we've been in political stalemate for most of this Congress, right? Unable to really pass strong legislation and uh, gun violence prevention is one of them. The administration has done all that they can do by investing in um, community violence interruption programs, trying to help different communities in terms of everyday gun violence, but there's still a problem of guns on the street. Um, and then also just another response quickly is that I think no one, yes, we need gun violence prevention measures. And I do think that that goes hand in hand with mental health and making sure that people have the resources and support that they need and that we can also intervene when something um, can be dangerous or someone can be dangerous to society. Yeah, and the governor of Texas certainly seeming to focus on that mental health angle. Uh, Peter gave us the statistics about how unlikely it is that your children will be shot in school. But Edwith points out that it's that fear is still there for many children in America. And Dan, you were saying that thankfully you don't have to worry about this. Your children are grown now, so they're not in school anymore. But last week on this show, we were talking about a white supremacist gunning down black shoppers in a supermarket. We've had attacks on churches, attacks on cinemas. Really nowhere is safe in America, is it, until we get a handle on this problem? Statistically, you probably are safe. Uh, I think Peter was the one who made the point that you know, the odds are that none of this stuff is going to touch any of our lives, but that doesn't change the fact that for the people who are affected, it's a horrifying, uh, terrible thing that happens. And like I said before, if I could wave a magic wand, if I knew something that would solve the problem, uh, you, know, you know, notwithstanding my libertarian principles, I might be tempted to support it, uh, but we just don't have those things. Y yes, I think Peter mentioned go after straw buyers. The government doesn't do that very much. And yet that's how a lot of criminals get guns when they get caught up in the background checks. So why aren't we doing that? Uh, but, but even- Do you think like, it's, uh, so, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wonder if you think it's because the ATF isn't even allowed to keep an electronic database of gun purchases. It all has to be done on paper because uh, the, because of the gun lobby has- We also don't have hamstring. a director for the ATF either. Like there's no one that's in charge yeah, the, of running that as well. Well, the, the, the point that I'm making is that when an ordinary person goes to buy a gun, there is that instant background check. If they don't pass it, if they just get someone else to buy the gun for them, that person obviously should be penalized, prosecuted uh, in a severe way when it gets found out. But that very rarely happens because there's no glory in it. A lot of these uh, people at BATF, you know, they have these grandiose uh, ideas of, of nationwide gun control, and that's just not going to happen, not only because there aren't the votes in Congress for it, uh, but we do have, as I said already, this thing called the Constitution. And in all likelihood, later this year, the Supreme Court is going to expand civil rights regarding gun ownership. Uh, so, so I don't think that most of the, the ideas that are being discussed will help at all. And by the way, I will say something about red flag laws. Uh, as much as that seems like common sense to all of us, I do worry that governments might abuse that. I, I, I would hate to think uh, that if I was ever in a situation where I felt threatened and then some you know, crazy neighbor or something like that uh, called up the cops and said, oh, Dan Mitchell's a, a bad guy for whatever reason, that I might be uh, inhibited from exercising my Second Amendment rights. So again, it's not like there's a there's a good answer on either the right or the left. We have some crazy people, people in this country. There's a lot of copycat element to this. 
I mean, in theory, probably the best way of stopping a lot of the stuff is having censorship. If these idiots who figure oh, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory and people will remember my name, this is how they sort of ratify their loser lives. Well, if no one ever learned their names and there was censorship, they might not do it. But obviously, we're not going to get rid of our First Amendment. We're not going to try to tell the press they can't report on these things. Uh, but that might actually be effective. But again, we have to figure out ways to balance these things out. And getting rid of our constitutional freedoms, I don't think, is the right way to do it. Well, to that point, there is a reason that in our introduction today, we did not mention the name of the person who carried out this attack. And I would certainly uh, echo your point there that we should probably continue that as a trend. Peter Pishke, from conservatives, we often hear that the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. That's ringing a bit hollow now, isn't it? Maybe. Uh, There's some questions there definitely that do need to be asked because Texas, in this case, did have officers that, you know, they weren't in the building when this happened, but they were pretty, they're close by enough. So they got there pretty fast. I heard that some of them went, some police officers went into the building and they were able to pick up their own kids. Yeah, I think we're missing, I think, a lot of the key details here. And I think we'll see more. I think the one thing that it seems that most authorities seem to agree with is that the shooter was essentially left undisturbed in that classroom for between 40 minutes and an hour. Dan, you look like you want to jump in on that. Well, uh, I want to defend that statement that uh, my conservative friends make, because ultimately this bad guy with a gun was stopped by a good guy with a gun. Uh, After after killing 19 children. Well, yeah, but how many would he have killed if there was no good guy with a gun that eventually stopped him? But here's where I think there's something hopefully we can all agree on, not only for what happened in Texas, but anytime these horrible things happen in the future. Any cop that shows up that does not immediately run in and try to engage the shooter should be immediately fired and lose their pension. I mean, I'm sorry. That is just completely inexcusable. Not only that, but some apparently these cops were tasering and handcuffing parents who wanted to rush in themselves. What are they doing standing outside? I mean, were they you know, getting Dunkin' Donuts or something? I mean, yes, I realize it's a dangerous job and I would not want to be in the position of being the cop having to run in with some nut job shooting a gun at me, but that's what I signed up for. And if, we, if we're not gonna have our cops willing to risk their lives to protect the, the children of a community, then they shouldn't have a badge. Okay, and Edward, I want to come back to you here. And I want to talk about the role of assault rifles specifically in this attack. Another AR-15 style rifle used in this. It is the weapon of choice for mass shooters, it seems, because of the utter devastation that it can wreak on victims, the sheer number of people that can be killed in a short period of time. And indeed, Dan was talking about the good guys with the guns eventually showing up. Well, I think the initial good guys with the guns who showed up were outgunned by this guy because of the body armor he was wearing and the rifle that he was carrying. Should ordinary Americans be allowed to buy an AR-15? No. I mean, I think like gun lobbies and MAGA Republicans are going to argue that the solution to the situation is more guns. They support arming teachers and increasing school security measures that have proven ineffective and only serve to line pockets by increasing numbers of guns in circulation. So in fact, um, in Robb Elementary School was well secured and members of law enforcement were present on the scene as we talked about earlier. Um, Shortly after the gunman entered the school, there were also people who are security on the campus, on the elementary school who also had guns and tried to shoot at him, but they failed 
to, to get him down or to stop him. Um, and then also they failed, the police failed to act after one hour um, as the shooter took children's lives, which we already talked about. So the good guys with guns couldn't save the children whose lives were taken and they won't be able to elsewhere. So the solution to all of this is to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people like these shooters. So I don't believe that more guns is going to solve the problem. There's already too many guns out there. And I don't think that any of these people should be continue to fear monger and like encourage other people to buy guns. Like during the pandemic, there was a huge uprising in guns being sold. While all these businesses were being closed by different states and the government and only um, like essential businesses were left open, gun stores were considered essential businesses while others were closed. And there was an uptick of people just buying more guns, thinking that that would help them be secure when the big thing that was happening was a global pandemic. It was a sickness. It wasn't like someone coming and knocking on your door. So in all of that anxiety and that chaos, like gun lobbyists and folks just kept pushing folks to buy more and more guns. So I do not think more guns are the answer. I don't think anything good happens when there's a gun brought into a situation. Um, and another point I'd like to make, like there needs to be so much more done. Like this individual, this young person who had the gun, the shooter, he did have a background check, right? So it needs to be just more than some of these laws and legislation. And I think every one of us can play a critical part in making sure that our communities are safe. Um, Adam, would it be okay if I jump Yeah, in? Peter, please go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll just break this into two parts. First, the stuff on the guns. We're obviously, we're just going to have to disagree there. Statistically, only 2.9% of gun deaths are rifle associated. We did have an assault rifle ban. It didn't work. It ended, there was a 10 year ban on it. It ended in 2010 when Obama still had control of Congress. The reason why it wasn't re-upped was two reasons. One, it was ineffective because it's a very loose definition. Assault rifle is not really a technical definition. It's more, it's more the old pornography. I know it when I see it, but that's not easy to do in law. Um, Unfortunately, most gun deaths are handguns. Um, most gun deaths are suicides for that matter. But even when it comes to violent crime, it's handguns. And there's not so anything really to suggest that even if handguns disappear today, the people wouldn't look for something else. Many countries have access to firearms, even armed police. Um, it isn't just that we have access to guns, that America has a much more violent culture. Dan, I want to come back to you uh, last before we take some viewer questions. Um, you mentioned the recreation aspect, and I can be quite open admitting as someone from a different country with very, very different gun culture, read no gun culture, that I have tried it here. I have fired an AR-15 style rifle, and I enjoyed it at the range. I enjoyed clay pigeon shooting. I've enjoyed target shooting with a hunting rifle. Does that enjoyment really justify, though, the kind of violence that we're seeing in the country? I don't think the two things are connected at all. The fact that you enjoy target shooting and clay shooting, uh, you're never going to kill anybody. You're never going to be a bad guy. Uh, and even if you decided to forever and ever give up your right to own a gun, that's not going to stop a bad guy from getting a gun. Let's keep in mind, we used to ban alcohol in the 1920s. People got alcohol. Today, we ban cocaine and heroin. People get cocaine and heroin. I guarantee you, if we have strict gun control laws, bad guys will still get guns. I mean, heck, you know, England has some of the, the United Kingdom has some of the strictest uh, anti-gun laws uh, in the world. And yet, uh, obviously, during the troubles with the IRA, uh, they had no trouble getting lots of heavy weaponry uh, in Northern Ireland. 
so, so the notion that gun control can never work, I think, is 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 fanciful at best. And keep in mind, an AR-15 is no more powerful or no more deadly than lots of other weapons. It just looks military, and that's why politicians think, oh, we banned that. Well, what's to stop some nut job from just getting a regular old handgun with a, a 20 round magazine and having like 10 magazines, he can fire just as many uh, rounds with just as much uh, uh, carnage, uh, even if you ban all the AR-15s in the country. And so it's not what we wish we could do, it's what we can practically achieve. And, and I'm afraid I agree with Peter that you know, if you just have nut jobs in a free country, those nut jobs are probably gonna get a hold of things and do some damage. And the best we can do is just figure out on the margin uh, what's gonna possibly help things. Uh, and and that, that's why we all sound so frustrated and, uh, and upset because we just don't know how to stop these things from happening, especially when you have these losers in society who figure, well, I'm gonna go out in a blaze of glory and people are gonna remember me. And that's how they validate, validate their pathetic lives. I would just quickly add, I do not believe that all regulations are necessarily bad or that there are good arguments to make some of them. There are definitely areas from reform and we mentioned them. I just think people need to have realistic expectations of what we can effectively do here or not. And I think too many people in politics, the media are telling their people, we just make this this one change we watch, we have, and we put it on all our political priors that this is going to get magically better. And as someone that cares about being truthful, that's just unlikely to happen. Okay. Sorry. Well, so, wait, can I? Yes, Edward, we haven't heard from you for a sec. Go on. To, to, oh, take just a, quickly, take us I, I agree with both of them in the sense that, like, I think uh, someone made the comment that they're using this moment as a political moment, which is tragic. And I think that they are to try to push agenda on either side. But I think, like, at this point, you need to be more practical and more pragmatic and thoughtful and figure out, like, what is something that we can do and how can we keep people safe? How can we be safe and be okay in our own homes? So yeah, and I, I think that probably brings us back to the the start where we talked about Senator Murphy and others who who seem to be trying to find that maybe there will be some common ground there somewhere, something practically that can be done. But let's take some questions from our viewers now. Uh, no surprise what the questions are about this week. Uh, the first one comes from Ramon Oliver who asks, "How do you think this attack could shape the race for Texas governor?" And I'm guessing that. Ramon saw that sort of confrontation between Governor Abbott and his November rival Democrat Beto O'Rourke. Edward, can I come to you on this first? Did you see that? What did you make of it? And and how do you think to Ramon's mm. question that, that this week's events could impact that race in Texas? I feel like I want to see what Peter has to say. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, for, was for those listening, thing. he was uh, shaking his head pretty. Uh, I was just, I was just like, I was just like, okay, here's the press conference. Doo, doo, doo. You know, he's just like, okay, we'll watch this, get the details, and then Beto shows up. I was like, what is happening? It was so, it was just crazy. I did not expect that. Um, well, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I wasn't a big not fan shy, of his already, but I was like, oh, whatever, man. He's certainly not shying away from the gun issue anyway, it seems, which in Texas, maybe you could argue is a brave political move. Edwith, I mean, uh, what do you think? Is this the kind of, I'm just wondering if between this attack and what looks like the Supreme Court about to strike down Roe versus Wade, is that the kind of, are those the kind of issues that could drive, uh, you know, more Democrats to the polls in November in Texas than you might see ordinarily? I mean, nationally, what I'm looking at is people are still looking for answers around the economy. 
this fight, the gunfight and stuff like that is definitely going to be an issue. And access to abortion and reproductive rights are definitely going to be an issue. Uh, it was interesting to hear Daniel say, does it matter? We can ban guns, but people are still going to get guns. And it's like the same thing. We can ban abortion, but people are still going to have abortions. Um, so I think all of those issues are going to be like big issues nationally and at Texas. Texas has been a hotbed for all of those different issues. I did not watch, I think I saw a TikTok of Beto, <laughs> uh, you know, addressing Governor Abbott, but um, Texas, woo, it's, it's going to be a lot. And I think they're also going to be guiding the messaging of the nation around all of these issues. So everyone's paying attention to Texas. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, there's some pretty X-rated comments uh, sent back his way from uh, some of those around Governor Abbott. Dan, we didn't get a chance to ask you how you think this could shape politics in Texas in November. Uh, I'll go on the line and make a prediction. Uh, before what happened at the press conference, O'Rourke was going to lose by 12 points. Now he'll probably lose by 13 or 14 because he just looks so ghoulish to, to try to exploit a tragedy that way. Um, I, I think maybe we'll leave this discussion here. Uh, sadly, I have a feeling that we'll be coming back to it in the probably not too distant future on the square circle. Um, but let's move on, shall we, to our regular segment that we round up the show with where our guests tell us what they think the most underreported story of the week was. And you've all had a good chat so far today. So who wants to go first? Edward, uh, go on. Oh, Dan, Dan's jumping Daniel. in. Go on. Uh, my underreported story of the week is that the uh, budget nerds at the Congressional Budget Office released their budget and economic outlook, which is a forecast for the next 10 years. Uh, for public finance economists like me, we love pouring through that document. And probably the thing that should stand out to most people, but of course, it very rarely gets attention and obviously gets almost no attention this week with everything else that's going on is that. We have deficits of a trillion dollars today, and this is sort of after all the emergency spending is now out of the system, and those deficits, are annual deficits, are expected to climb to $2.3 trillion almost uh, within 10 years. We have government spending on autopilot that is growing much too fast. We are on a path to become Greece. Nobody seems to care. Nobody's paying attention. And guess what? When, when the you-know-what hits the fan in the United States, nobody else can bail us out because we're the ones who bailed out Greece. Uh, and it's just, it's a tragedy. It's a slow motion tragedy, uh, but nobody wants to fix it. Heck, I mean, Joe Biden wants to make it worse with his so-called Build Back Better that would have added several trillion dollars of additional spending onto America's fiscal burden. All right, so uh, you're diving into the CBO documents. That's definitely underreported, I would think. Edwith, what's your underreported story this week? Um, so this has to do with reproductive rights because that's something I feel strongly and passionate about. Um, so there are about 50 cities in the United States who are sanctuary cities for the unborn, which are cities that ban abortion regardless of what the state constitution says or state laws or Roe v. Wade. Um, so if Roe would fall, that's, so the good news, so that's bad news that 50 cities have that, but the good news is that Lebanon, Ohio has decided to not enforce um, their, uh, their ordinance to protect the unborn and they are allowing reproductive rights to thrive there. So I'm excited for that. They're standing against um, the ordinance that passed last year and we'll see what happens in Ohio once the SCOTUS decision comes out. 
Okay, Peter Pishke, why don't you bring us home here with your most underreported story of the week? Okay, so I saw this reported in a few places, but I think National Review had a pretty good summary, which they called, that's one way to catch up. So it came out in a recent report um, that was actually was spoken about in Congress back in March, but now we know what took place with the Treasury Inspector General. And he wanted to know from the IRS if they had destroyed or deleted any records. And the, the IRS reported that they had deleted, they had destroyed 30 million tax returns solely for the reason that they just couldn't get to them on time, uh, which is kind of crazy because the IRS is always asking for like more, more access to more and more information. And if you've ever had to do with the IRS, it's it's a minefield. It's uh, it's just oh, it's like a it's like an old time Peter Sellers movie, just trying to wade your way through the bureaucracy. <laughs> and they just delete. They just delete all these records just because, they you know, we just couldn't get to them. And it was like anyone else. They was it an that. intern? It was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. Yeah, the IRS, everyone's favorite government agency, I think. Well, I want to thank you all for your time. Peter Pishke, Dan Mitchell, Ed with Theogen, thank you for being with us this week. And thank you for watching or listening, whichever way you've been catching us. Uh, please make sure you uh, like us on YouTube if you're there and subscribe and or give us a five-star rating on your podcast platform of choice. Five big five stars there from Edwith. I like that. Uh, so yeah, please do all of those things. And uh, we hope to see you again next week on the Square Circle. I'm Adam Bjorn. Thank you for joining us.